0: This is episode number 10 with French social entrepreneur Louis Fraud.
1: Mabuhay and welcome to the Best of You podcast. I'm your host Mike Grogan and each week we give you an inspirational person or message designed to empower you to go further faster. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let the show begin.
0: Hi and welcome to the Best of You Podcast. Each week, we give you an inspirational person or message designed to empower you to go further faster. My name is Jesse and I'll be your host for today's episode. Today, we will get to know more about a 22-year-old French social entrepreneur who has made the Philippines his home. Louis was highly recommended to us by Gawad Kalinga founder Tony Meloto. Although Louis is a foreigner, he has a massive heart for the Philippines. Let's listen to Louis' inspiring story on this interview with Mike.
1: So Louis, thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank joining. you, Mike. <laughs>
1: um, you are my very special, to- uh, Louis, because you're my first foreigner. Uh, I'm glad to be. <laughs> <laughs> Other than me, of course, but you're the first foreigner on this show. So I, I really, really appreciate you coming
2: on the, to do
1: this podcast with us.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me.
1: I appreciate it. So, Louis, are you ready to go?
2: Yes, let's go.
1: Okay, so the first question I have, Louis, is a question I always ask my guests, but is there a quotation that really inspires you that you would like to share?
2: All right, so I've been thinking about that, and the thing is I'm really bad at memorizing quotes. Okay. Let's say that I incorporate them immediately, but they don't stay in my mind as words. And most of them actually would come from a French author that I cannot translate which is uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. But in the meantime, there's still one that always remains in my head, which would be maybe, they didn't know it was impossible, so they made it. And uh, for me, that would be a good quote. Mm. Can you just repeat that again? I love that. Yeah, so I said, they didn't know it was impossible, so they did it.
1: Mm. Very inspiring for those that are trying to build something that's in, that many might see impossible. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. So... If you look back just over the last 24 hours, what gave you joy?
2: <laughs> so, I'm, I actually have the luck to be a farmer. So, mm-hmm. and you find a lot of joy in being a farmer. And the very simple joy I had this morning was. To discover 10 newly born chicks in my incubator this morning. <laughs> <laughs> they were expected. So it's just like when Christmas arrives, you know the presents will arrive, but you're still happy to have them. Yeah. So I had 10 new chicks. and It's always a surprise to see how they look like because we're crossing different kinds of bridges. Mm. And uh, just I know, getting them in a box, putting them in the car, bringing up the temperature and putting them into the new place for them to live for the next few months. That wow. was a good choice.
1: Wow, I love that. <laughs> I, I, that will be a very unique answer. I don't think any of our future guests will beat that for an answer. <laughs> That's
2: what I'm saying. I'm lucky.
1: So there's a many reasons, listeners, but we got Louis on this show. He is very unique. Very unique story. So maybe Louis, uh, before we kind of go, go into the other questions of the show. Uh, Well, actually, I'll ask one more before we actually talk about your story, because it is a very unique story that a lot of listeners will take value from. But what is the best advice you ever received?
2: I would say, for me, the best advice is something that confirms the intuition that you had. But you need someone to say it, so it really sticks into your brain. That's exactly what happened when I was talking to Nimeloto. We were on a trip together to go to Cebu to see the island of Bantai, and we were building another enchanted farm. And I was telling him a story about entering the modeling world. And I was saying, but Tito, I know it's a dangerous world, but trust me, I'll be fine. And he said, I know you'll be fine, but I'll only know you'll find as long as you stay, you stick to your integrity. And integrity will be your best shield wherever you go. So as long as you can tell me that you'll stick to that. I can trust you, you can go wherever you go, wherever you want to go. So Mm. that was, I think for me, the best advice. Integrity will be
1: your best shield. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And I know that um, Tony Miloto has been a a big influence on you, likewise he has been on me. And his name may be the answer to this next question, but I'll give you the freedom to to look back all through your career, but when you think of the word successful, what person comes to mind?
2: Yeah, obviously now it's Tony Miloto, obviously, there's no hesitation in my mind. Mm. So I always knew that being successful was not... I mean, I always had this feeling that it was not what people usually say it is. But I could not say then, what is it? So I could not find it. But I had to come to the Philippines and meet Tony to, to understand what it was. Mm. And uh, so for me now, being successful is, well, receiving everything you can ever dream of without having to ask for it. Mm. And that's what Tito gets because he's just give everything he has without expecting anything mm. so in return he has more than he can dream of and starting with love as yes. mm. he receives love from millions of people that he helped mm. and that's huge I mean for me that is success mm.
1: beautiful so you have been like myself on this journey oh I'm sure all our listeners are excited to <laughs> tell us about this journey tell us Like I get, get, I'm smiling here because I I get to ask you questions that I get asked all the time. (laughs) So I'll start with the first one. Everyone is thinking this question, so I'll start with the first one, and you'll take it from here. I'll over to you. But why are you in the Philippines, and why do you love this country so
2: much? Okay, so I've been asked that question many times, of course, and I have, I had different answers because I didn't know first. I could not say first why I was here, and people were telling me. You're here because of Gawad Kalinga. But actually, what I don't know is that I didn't know anything about Gawad Kalinga when I arrived here. So I would answer that for them, but that's not the true answer. The very true answer is I didn't know anything about the Philippines before 2013. When I went to Singapore as an intern in a design company, and I met a French guy in this company that had traveled all over the world. I don't even remember his name. I just met him like this. And he had traveled all over the world, but still... He went to one country that changed his life. That country was the Philippines. So he said, I was there. I met the most amazing people you can find on earth, the most lovable people. So he told me, as I didn't really know him, but he told me, if ever you have the chance to spend some month abroad in another country, go to the Philippines. Don't hesitate. Go to the Philippines. And I've been traveling in Asia quite a lot, so it made sense also to me to discover this country. But I didn't know much about it. All I knew about it was history of colonization, and not even the beaches. Didn't even know about Palawan. Nothing about it. So then I came back to France after this internship and whatever, and I had to look for an internship. So I went on my internet. My friends were looking for San Francisco, so I checked it out. It was all about IT. I was like that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> I said, why not looking at a developing country? My friends don't. So I went to. I checked Brazil. I checked Turkey, and I checked the Philippines. And there was only one offer on the Philippines, that was Gawat Kalinga. And when I saw what it was about, even though it was not so descriptive, I felt that's where I had to go. And it totally related to what this guy told me. Mm. This approach of Gawat Kalinga related to what this guy told me of this extremely lovable people that you want to do something with was uh, huge to me. So I guess that's what struck me. So then I flew to the Philippines. It was a bit more than almost a year ago, and here I still am. So that's why I'm in the Philippines.
1: <laughs> wow, we want more. We want more. <laughs> Tell us in the, how you spend your time here and how do you envision spending your time here in the future?
2: So I arrived as an intern, as a French intern in an organization that has a lot of other French interns. And most of the French interns who arrive here work as the right arm of an entrepreneur. So when I arrived, I knew I didn't want to be the right arm of an entrepreneur. And they knew I didn't want to be the right arm of an entrepreneur. So they said, okay, just look around, meet the people, get to see what you can do in this farm. So actually, I started my first weeks, like, giving a hand here and there, getting to learn the names. And strangely enough, I used to be very bad at remembering names. But this time, I was very fast. I guess because I felt I was where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So I learned the names of everybody in the community, maybe faster than anybody, any other French intern. So I got to be part of this community very fast. And that actually was, without knowing it, the wisest thing to do before you start working in this country, get to know the people. So I got to know the people first. And knowing the people is not just knowing the names, is knowing their story, how many kids they have, what's the name of the kids, what does the father does, where does the money go when do they go to the market, what do they eat at lunch, etc. So I got to know that, and I discovered also that there was a part in the farm that was not being developed, which was the animal farm. So a muddy place where you had a few ducks, a few chickens, and a few pigs. And they told me, okay, that's one of the options. If you want, you can help us build it up and make it become a real business. And you'll start with the chickens, uh, because that's the faster thing to do. So I started raising what we call forty-five days chickens, broilers, so industrial chickens—the chickens that you eat all over the world. So basically, slaughtering chickens twice a week, sometimes three times. So when my friends were working in like uh, buildings in Hong Kong or New York, I was slaughtering chickens <laughs> with my hands in the mud under the rain, sometimes with my hands. So it was really hard at the beginning. The first chicken I ever slaughtered was really hard,
1: mm. and uh, that then that I got your first time. In that
2: environment, in, yeah. as
1: a farmer.
2: Well, I, our neighbors, I mean, I have, we have a countryside house in France, and our neighbors are farmers, so I would spend time with some cows. And, sure. But that's all. So yeah. that was the first time I had a knife in my hand, and it was slicking the neck of an animal. Huh? I don't do it usually. So that's what I've been doing for eight months, until I understood that raising those chickens was not where I could have any impact. So I totally switched and I'm going now into freelance chickens. So what I do every day is basically giving love to birds. So picking up their eggs, cleaning their nests, taking care of... Actually taking care also of the farmers who work with me. So I'm kind of managing two farmers, but you cannot manage if you don't do the same thing as them on the ground. So basically what I do every day is this. And sometimes I go around with Titotoni so to do some conference, We to welcome some guests. I'm going in Europe in September because we have a program with the European Union. Mm. Maybe going to the US in November, etc. Mm. So I also get the chance to travel around because of the inspiring work that we do in Goat Cunningham. Wow. But I guess my favorite part remains taking care of the chickens. Wow.
1: Giving, there's so many tweetable moments here, giving lots of birds. <laughs> <laughs> it can be so misinterpreted, but I, this is beautiful. That's true. And I, actually from a, why I, I'm at the, when I mentioned the wisest 22-year-olds, uh, one, one of the wisest 22-year-olds I, I, ever, I ever met. I didn't say that just because it sounds nice, but you said something here that is really important. i just picked one thing that you said, the importance of you cannot manage people if you don't do what they do, mm. if you don't yeah. go to that level of detail that they have to do. and I think that's so inspiring for a lot of leaders out there that are maybe struggling with, to connect with their people. I just took a massive leadership lesson from you. There, so I, I love that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Louis, so let me ask you a question as you look back on your career from obviously you're a student, a social entrepreneur, a speaker now, a model, <laughs> farmer. So there's a lot of different hats that you wear. But can you take me back to maybe a compliment that you received
2: that you are most proud of? So I guess what things come to mind when they're recent So I'll pick one that is pretty recent. So the other week, I was uh, staying... That was actually pretty precise. June 20th. So actually it was months ago already. (laughs) Time flies. I was actually staying at the farm where all my fellow interns were going to Manila for the Fête de la Musique. Strangely enough, they use a French expression for that. So that was a big party. And I was invited also. And I really want to go dancing. But at 5 p.m., there was a storm that started. And at 6 p.m., so 20 minutes after everybody left, a lightning cut off the power in the farm. And when there's no power, my chicks have no heat. So it's not good for them, obviously. Mm. So seeing that at 5 p.m., I said, okay, I have to stay. Go ahead, guys. There's a storm coming. I know it's dangerous for my chickens, so I'm staying tonight. And the next day, I was telling about me struggling uh, until 9 p.m. with my chickens. Basically, well... I really enjoyed actually being under the rain and taking care of them, whatever. I already said that earlier. And so one of the, um, the son of the farmer that's working in my era, his mother is taking care of citronella, doing essential oils. His son is one of the students of our university's School for Experiential Entrepreneur Development seed. Mm. So I know him pretty well already. And he said, when I told the story, wow, you really are my role model that makes me want to become an entrepreneur. Wow. And that was big. Wow. And he's only, he's 19, no, 20, just two years younger than me. And uh, that was huge because, mm. yeah, he said, you're here to work. You're here to do, taking care of chickens. Nobody told you to do that. You're not forced to do that. You do whatever you want. Still, he decided to stay. Mm. So among other things, I admire you for that. Mm. And hearing that from him was uh, a blessing.
1: Mm. Wow, well, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's often a small yeah, those moments in life, I'm sure, because I'm going to ask you about some struggles, because I know you've gone, this has not been easy. There's been some adversity, there's been a yeah. lot of adversity on the journey. But hearing those moments must be, yeah, must be giving you so much inspiration to yeah, keep going. Definitely, and definitely. I love it. Before we do talk about adversity, which I know ironically is my favorite part of the show, because <laughs> <laughs> I learn so much when people open up and share their struggles. But is there, on your journey, has there been a particular book that you would recommend to our listeners
2: that has helped you on your path? Once again, it's always hard for me to dig into my memory Mm. and find because the impressions I get from what I read or what I listen kind of spread in my brain. It's hard to find the source. But I'm now reading a book, same from this author, French author that I love, which is Antoine de Saint-Exupéry once again. I love that name. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he wrote many novels, but he wrote one bigger, deeper book I haven't finished because it's pretty hard to read. It's called citadel in French, so I guess the translation in English should be citadel. Does it work? Yeah. Does it exist? Okay. And the reason why, so this man—I don't know if you know his story—is a writer that used to be um, riding planes during the World War II. Before that, he was a postman on the in South America. I mean, how do you call it? Like airline posts. Oh. So he was driving. in over the mountains. He has amazing stories, whatever. Mm. And this taught him a lot about men. I mean, mankind. So he has a very deep reflection about mankind. And Citadel is basically the story of the son of a king that becomes a king himself and learns how to make men out of those men, (laughs) in Mm. a way. And women, of course. Mm. How to make them human. How to make them live. Mm. And uh, that's... Very deep. That's actually a research. He doesn't really have the answer yet. Mm. He's searching. Maybe because I'm just in the middle of the book. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if there has an answer at the end. And one of the things that he says, I'll try to translate in a way also, is that you don't sum up a man by the number of sheep he has or by the land he has. But you sum it up by the work he does, the pain he puts in it, that will in the end be the thing that will... Go beyond his life. Mm. So he believes that every human at a certain point will transform itself. And the relay, when the body will die, what will survive is our masterpiece, our legacy.
0: Mm.
2: And he says that our soul transform from the human body to the legacy. Mm. Either it is the chair that you built with your hands, anything, mm. anything can become a masterpiece. Mm. But if you don't build it, I mean, for him, you're only ready to die when you have it, when you've done something. So the guy who's just contented to have his coffee and his sheep, but haven't achieved anything yet for himself, like he's already sinking on the mountain, but he never endured the pain to go up this mountain, Mm. then he's dying before his time. Mm. And that was very, that was striking for me, because that's actually the first thing that made me change. It was when I was 19, I chose to, after two years of working very hard to get my competitive entrance to go into my business school in France, Mm. we decided with three friends, instead of just enjoying the freedom of not having to study anymore, because we used to study 14 hours a day for a year from Monday to Sunday. That's basically what we do. We chose to travel uh, to cross a mountain that is known to be the most difficult in Europe with no training. So my only training was walking in Paris before. So, and everybody was saying, telling us it was impossible. Everybody was telling that. Even when I went to buy my equipment, they were telling me, where are you going? I'm going to Gervin. We call it Gervin. It's in Corsica, from north to south. He said, do you have any training? I said, no, I don't. Don't go. It's too dangerous. So actually, we did it. And we did it in nine days instead of 15. Wow. And we lost around four kilos each. with scratches everywhere yeah so and i'm referring to this i mean we can talk about this later but i'm referring to this because saint exupery is specifically taking this as a metaphor climbing the mountain or just taking a chopper and going on top of it Mm -hmm. and that's what i realized i was into those beautiful landscapes that you cannot reach Mm -hmm. unless you have a chopper Mm -hmm. and i choose to do it by foot not only because it's romantic or whatever because you have this feeling of you've won this place and you've won the respect of the mountain mm. so I traveled again after I walked in a mountain on my own this time in Japan and uh, like melting the snow to drink and stuff like that that was an amazing experience and I really had this feeling that I had to win the right to walk in that mountain and once I won it I was in total harmony with nature mm. but I had to win it first yeah and once I won it, I was at peace. But if I had taken a chopper, and don't know how I would have paid it or whatever, if I had landed on top of it, I wouldn't have this feeling. Yeah. And that's for me what being human is, being wow. able to have this feeling.
1: Wow. Wow, this is deep. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful story. And On the show notes, Bestofview.ph, we're going to link the author and this book so that people um, who have been inspired by this and want to read this book they can go online and check it out Um, hopefully there's an English or Tagalog version there probably (laughs) is
2: just takes courage to read it (laughs)
1: Uh, awesome and actually it's a nice little interplay and I love let's keep the analogy of the mountain Yeah. and we'll talk about your journey in life up the mountain and the the many setbacks Um, just like if we use the example of that mountain you did in nine days I'm sure there's lots of moments um, setbacks maybe could have called them failures at the time yeah what can you share and I'll give you the freedom to where you want to pick this but a share a setback in your life that you learned the most from
2: it's actually not easy because I don't see any major setback in my life so far Mm. yeah I saw mountains to climb and uh, but there's always another side no yeah so I guess I had the chance to see the other side Mm. so but painful moments maybe and yes. I can share one, actually, that is related to the chickens once again. Because oh, nice. it's been hard, obviously. Because I, to just give you a background, I have no background in agriculture. And I'm used to do stuff with my brain, which I secondly got tired of. So that's why I'm <laughs> happy to be here. <laughs> but slaughtering chickens was really hard. And sometimes, because we don't have any machines yet, because we don't have the money to have any machines, so we do everything by hand. So to slaughter 40 chickens... The four of us takes around five hours. So you wake up at six and you finish at lunch dirty, as you can imagine. And the most difficult moment is maybe... Because when you start in the morning, you're always fresh. And uh, the farmers are... I mean, we're in the Philippines, right? So even though you're doing something hard, they make jokes, they sing, they dance. Mm -hmm. They're farmers, but like I love those moments in a way. Mm. But after two or three hours... I and mean, everybody is really focused on doing his part. So, for example, I'm, no, defeathering, which is takes the more time. And I'm actually usually doing the smaller one at the end because I want it to be perfect, no? So, um, I'm sitting on like just a log, <laughs> defeathering my chickens one by one. And I have this terrible thought, which is why the hell am I doing this? My friends are sitting in front of a desk in Hong Kong at night, they go out, they. Mm. The weekend they go on the beaches and I don't even have a day off. I have this thought that comes like in a second, Mm. you know. Even though like a few hours earlier I would say I would never be anywhere else in the world than this place. Even though you have this in mind, you still have those thoughts coming out when you are through the pain. And that's where you have a little doubt. And every time the thing that saves me is when I look at the farmers around and I say, if I say it out loud, what happens? And I understand then that if I say it out loud, That's the biggest injustice you can tell them because you're basically telling them, I have the choice. You don't have the choice. Mm. And that's, you cannot say anything worse to them for me Mm. than complaining of doing that when they don't even have the choice. So they look at you and say, okay, fine, but I have to do it anyway. So Mm. you can quit. I'll continue. I have no choice. I have to feed my children and I have to feed my, I mean, I have to build a better future for my children. Mm. So I have to do this. So that made me realize that I still had that thought after that. It didn't only happen once. It was maybe once out of two. At a sudden moment, this thought, can I control it, comes out. Yep. and It's always painful to still have this thought, even mm-hmm. after that processing. And every time, that's just thinking of the community, thinking of the farmers I work with, that brings me back to reality mm-hmm. and brings me back to what well, is the real reason why I'm here. Not because I enjoy killing chickens, <laughs> <laughs> because there's something behind it. But mm-hmm. you have to start small.
1: That's how it that. works. And is there, in those, so if I heard you correctly, Dewey, you're telling me this, when those moments of doubt come in, you remind yourself of your why, yeah. of why you're here, yeah. and why actually you're actually doing the activity. There is a lot of our listeners right now going through hard battles. They're going through tough times. What advice would you give them that are maybe trying to pursue their dreams, um, but they have those moments like you're having? in terms of these thoughts coming to their mind, what am I doing here? Can you talk to them for them? What advice would you give them to help them on their journey?
2: So that's actually for me always difficult because it relates to things that are not necessarily, that, I mean, thoughts that you cannot necessarily control. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but for me, the most important is that you must put yourself into this place where you understand what you really want which is very difficult to know what you want mm. that has been my struggle for the longest time what do I want but we have to start by understanding what we're looking at what we want what we need and that's only when we discover that truth that then we can go over any obstacle because in full of an obstacle we'll know if I jump over it do I continue into my direction or do we go into another direction if I stop here do I continue into my direction or not? So if you see an obstacle that is not actually an obstacle to your real direction, you don't need to jump it. Just mm. drop it. And if you see an obstacle that is really barring you from going where you need to go, then you have no choice. You have to go over it. Mm. So, because that's what you live for, for your own sense in life. Yeah. But that, I agree, that's the most difficult thing to find. Mm. Why do we do all this? But, Maybe also because I think we don't listen to ourselves enough. Mm -hmm. And that's what I discovered. I wasn't really listening to myself enough. For example, people were asking me, what do you like? What do you love? And I could not really answer. But for me, it takes to be alone. And that's why traveling alone was really an experience for me. That's how I started to understand what was important for me in life, what was not, Mm -hmm. etc. And when we find our own truth, that makes choices much easier. Mm -hmm. Now, Really, choices are much easier than they have never been. Because I know what I have to do now for the next years. I know I'm, where is my place now? It might change in five years. It might change in two years. But at least I can say that I am the right place now. And if you have the feeling, just a a little, like, a sense of a feeling that you're not at the right place, wow, you have to look at it. You have to watch it. Mm -hmm. Because if it's not, then you should not lose time. If you have the freedom, it's also a question of freedom. I guess it's easy from the side of such a young person as me. Mm. But if you have the freedom, if you have the slight hesitation on what you're doing right now, you should look at it and make a quick decision. Should I totally change? Mm. Should I stop everything? Or should I continue? Maybe it was just... But for me, as long as there's a little hesitation somewhere, it's not good to continue.
1: Mm. Wow. That's powerful. And actually, I want to build on this because... I'm thinking of some listeners who may say, especially your own age in their 20s or just starting their careers, who may say, I have not got a clue what I want to do. (laughs) You talked about the pursuit of truth, of their own personal truth, listening to their their inner voice. If you were to give people a tip or advice to find that inner voice, to find their personal truth, what advice would you give them? Those people are still searching and they're a bit confused and maybe they're in the wrong careers or doing things that family tells them to do, but it's not really their truth. Mm. Do you want to talk to those listeners on advice you would give them to help them find their truth? Mm.
2: Well, I'm probably too young to give any advice to anybody. Oh, I disagree. But... I disagree, <laughs> I disagree <laughs> but, but please. Okay, please. but for sure, I can say what happened to me, no? The way it worked for me. Yeah. So it might work for other people, it might not. Yeah. But for sure for me, the switching point was when I started to out of my comfort zone that was really turning point so the first time was actually when I walked in that mountain before that I mean you tell me go take a shower under this tap and you don't have any towel but you'll have to dry and after you'll have to go sleep in your on the floor I said go ahead (laughs) no way (laughs) because I was still in that comfort zone so I wouldn't I would see things a certain way but even though I thought I was open and uh Like, you know, very accepting of any situation. Actually, it was not true. Because I hadn't found any other situation than the one I was living in. And I hadn't really met people that were really in another situation than mine. So I was too much into one world when actually there's billions of worlds. So I had to get out of it. So the first step was to climb that mountain. But after climbing that mountain, I understood that I could not stay in France. And I had the chance to find an exchange program in Tokyo. And right before that, to find an internship in Singapore. And by that time, my internship was paid enough and I had an uncle and aunt to live with in Singapore so I could save money. So I had a chance to travel. And that was the second turning point when I started traveling on my own. So I went first to Cambodia, then I went to Indonesia, then I went to Japan, and then I went to Vietnam. All on your own? All on my own. Wow. So the first travel was, I was 20 in Cambodia with no plan no lonely planet no booked hotel no booked bus (laughs) that sounds like a backpacker thing and okay you know what it is but before all is a a search i had no idea what i was looking for i just knew that i could not go with anybody i had to go on my own and that was a punch in my face basically because i saw that actually you can learn from anybody and discovering that helped me understood then what i had to bring also when you understand what people can teach you, you start to realize that anybody has, everybody has something to tell. Everybody has something to teach, whatever your age. And with that in mind, when I came back to France, I was already someone different after just seven months abroad. For example, I was in the train in Paris. I was sleeping and I had my book, actually. all well, this comes back to the same book. I had this book on my lap yeah. that I bought actually in Tokyo. And uh, a guy wakes me up, very strange look. Scars on his face. I said, you know what? I could have stole your book. It was too easy to steal. But of course I didn't, because it's just a book. But be careful next time. Anybody could steal something for you, because you were sleeping on your. And you're in Paris now. You're not, I don't know in which country. It really brought me to reality. I said, wow, who are you? And I started talking to that guy. And that guy had a story that, like, from another world, once again. So he's the kind of people that come from, you know, Rome. So those people are the ones who, you know, never stay at the same place. So even today, they still live uh, on the road. And this guy just went to jail because he was close to killing his father. And actually, because he fought with his father with knives, he had scars everywhere. And he had been living in the street. And now he just found a girl in Paris that had enough money to have him at home. So suddenly he had a home when he used to be outside. But now he had to meet the family. So he was going to meet the family. And I was listening to that guy, and for the first time, I realized, wow, how come I have no fear Mm. talking to that guy? How come I have no prejudice? How come I listen? I mean, I used to say I listen to people, but listening means having nothing in mind when people tell us a story. That was really the first time in my country, it's easier in another country to listen to someone. First time in my country, someone that in the news would be considered as dangerous. First time I could hear, listen to that person's story without having any prejudice in my mind Mm -hmm. and without trying to run away or without trying to end the conversation or say oh sorry I'm I'm in a hurry I have to go somewhere else and like really like shaking his hand at the end taking his name and wrote everything he told me on my phone right after it and so that's when I realized that this trip really changed something so getting back to your question Mm. I would say okay I understand everybody cannot travel but actually everybody can travel even if it's not on the other side of the planet yeah you can just take your pack and walk and (laughs) i mean this country anyway is so vast and so wild and there's millions of people you don't know just go ahead and meet them and by meeting them they will make you realize what's beautiful in you Mm. because you have to see people that don't know you and see how they what they perceive from you to understand who you are Mm. that's what i realized
1: wow Wow, I'm loving this. This could be the most <laughs> insightful interview to date. <laughs> um, my, my last question on adversity, and feel free to, to share uh, whatever thoughts come into your mind. But it's a lot of our listeners are going through adversity from their own family. Yeah, their family are not incur- Family perhaps are encouraging them to leave the Philippines. Mm. Family encouraging them to take jobs that they they don't feel they're passionate about. Perhaps they're discouraging them from education or further. And pursuits of their own dreams or whatever it may be. Can you talk to that for a moment, whether from your own experience mm-hmm. or what advice would you give to someone who's going through adversity from their own family, from yep. their own loved ones?
2: So actually I come from a family that, was, that has been very supportive and always, but also had its difficulties. So as many families in France, my f- parents divorced when I was quite young. And my brothers and sisters were even younger. So it kind of broke something in my family for sure. So my family is still going through a lot of difficulties, even eight years after. And that's actually maybe my biggest battle now, is my relationship with my father and the relationship between my father and my brothers and sisters. And I'm trying to understand now what could be an exit to that situation. And the only thing I see for that specific situation where the relationship is kind of broken is forgiveness. Because there's something more important here. The relationship in the family, the parents, brothers and sisters. There's something more important. And we always have to seek for what's more important. No? So, but forgiveness here is the only key. Because we could talk for ages. I mean, there's no truth in that kind of debates. You never end it. I tried so many times to be the middle ground between my older brother, that really is the one... Fighting with my father. I've tried, but it doesn't work. They don't speak the same language. And it will never work. So the only solution in that kind of conflict is forgiveness. That's what I found. And getting back to love. Which is easy to say, I haven't succeeded yet. To get back to love and forgiveness. I haven't. But that's why it's still my battle. And, um, but I would say, because I have met friends that have other problems, which is they want to fly, but their parents... They keep them on the ground or send them in the direction that they don't want to follow. And there, I saw the one who eventually were able to fly by their own wings. All it took was courage. Courage to say, mom, dad, I love you. I'm here now because of you. I'm who I am now because of you. But now it's my time. So let me fly. And that was the only way. Because at a certain point, they build you to become who you are. So if you don't become who you are, you're not even grateful in the end to what they've done. So by flying with your own wings, you actually do a favor to them because the problem it doesn't come from you, it comes from them. They don't have the courage to let you go. So you have to take that step for them. You have to cut mm. and they will be thankful. Mm. Maybe not now. It might be difficult for the next years, but mm. wait for 20 years and we'll see.
1: Wow. <laughs> that, I love that answer. And there's a couple of... Well, I, I just wanted to, to highlight a couple of things because it's so powerful what you said. Uh, number one, forgiveness. and I, I was going to use this quote from you, Louis. Forgiveness is the only solution in terms of conflict. And then, oh, so beautiful. Then bringing it back to love. And then the, the third point is the courage. And I think you give the most practical advice to anyone, that it does take courage, but in a grateful way to say thank you but this is my decision mm. for now. And I think you—that that is probably one of the best advice I've ever had on pr- pr- possibly the most difficult question in this interview. Mm. And the most difficult challenge some of our listeners are facing right now. So I think that answer was beautiful. So I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Mike.
1: Wow, we could in- end the interview right here. <laughs> but no, there's so much to go. Oh, we might have to have a part two. We might have to have a part two. <laughs> I'd love okay. to. Okay, let's run through some questions now. I mean, this is what we call the fun part <laughs> and you don't have to answer you don't have to give a name you can say skip but if you were if you were to punch someone in the face <laughs> who would that be and why
2: all right so once again you know memory i would have i mean throughout my life so many people i wanted to punch so many and i usually didn't sometimes because i don't get the chance to meet them of course so but the thing that comes to my mind right now is something that for me is one of the greatest injustice. The thousands of it, millions of it, but that's one of the greatest now for me because that's a world that I'm getting closer to, which is the fact that people were able to design crops and vegetables that were non reproductible for farmers to be obliged to get back to the supplier and buy more seeds. Instead of growing it the good old way, which is get the seed, you wait for it to dry, You get the seed from the fruit, Mm. you wait for it to dry, you plant it again, you have another plant. No, farmers are slaves of companies that are under a company such as Monsanto. Mm. They're not the only ones, but they're the ones I have in mind right now. Mm. And they came up with this brilliant commercial strategy, which is farmers, we won't even have the choice. They'll have to buy our crops for every season. And that's, for me, the greatest injustice. Mm. Because you're designing life to be non-reproductible. So you're perverting life and at the same time killing so many farmers that are slaves Mm. to the suppliers. They have to buy everything from them. Mm. And it's the same in so many other companies. The chickens you buy, they cannot get the parent stock. The chicken I buy there, not the one I raise, the free ranch, but the other one, the commercial ones, those ones are non-reproductible. So if you try to have eggs from them and chicks, it won't work. How come? Mm. because they were modified and that's a terrible injustice for me mm. so farmers once again are slaves to that mm. so the person I would punch is the one who had this brilliant commercial idea yeah. but had no idea of the consequence yeah. or maybe had which is even worse yes
1: and uh, no, I really appreciate that and I'm glad that you're showing different emotions here uh, yeah. Louis, Louis is actually a boxer guys he's a trained boxer <laughs> <laughs> so I like giving punches honestly so uh, uh, well, one of the takeaways here that anger can be turned into a very positive force. Uh, exactly true. And because this makes you so angry, you've, you've been able to focus that energy on something very positive. That's true. And uh, so I appreciate uh, you sharing that particular story. Mm. So thank you. So Louis, if you go even this year, and you've mentioned a couple of moments along with your chicks, but if you're, what has surprised you about this year so far when you look back at the year about yourself?
2: That's not an easy question, actually, because surprising yourself is not easy, because it means you, you're you in a situation where you do something that you were not expected to do. But I would say that I discovered a power that I didn't, that ignored, that I didn't know I had. And uh, this power is to inspire people.
1: Ah! So I think we're working on it right now. <laughs> we are testifying to
2: that. And I discovered that because I had the chance to meet people who... Told me that I inspired them, and that's just a deep feeling, great feeling. I shared about it earlier. Yeah, and even from friends, people older than me, even someone 45 years old, told me that, and that was surprising because a few years ago, I wouldn't have expected that someone twice my age, like, tell me you inspired me. Hmm. And it made me realize that anybody can inspire anybody. Yes, yes. Like a kid inspired me the other day. I mean. Anybody can inspire anybody, but we tend to either forget it or hide it, or we don't want to accept it. And I realized also that very often, especially in my culture, I don't know if it's that true in other cultures, you don't talk about what you're good at. You don't talk about what you can do to others. Mm. But actually, you should be aware of that, say it out loud, and take the most of it because people need you for that. Mm. And that realization was deep.
1: Wow. And I... (coughs) A couple of things that, first of all, you need to write a book. (laughs) Whenever you do get the time, you have to put some of these thoughts on paper. I'm writing,
2: actually, almost every day.
1: You're writing every day? Almost, yeah. Have you thought about that, writing a book? Maybe. Yeah? We'll see. Well, hopefully we'll have enough listeners uh, (laughs) follow you on your social media and, and constantly encourage you. But I can imagine you in organizations all across the Philippines talking to Different, not just groups of students your own age, but like senior executives to healthcare, to governments. And um, you do have a gift. You do have been blessed. And you know this, you've been on this unique journey. Mm. And you've been fortunate. And it's an amazing, And I want to encourage you because I really respect you, Louis, and I really admire you. And to encourage you to look for more ways that you can share this story. So you're already doing it right now. <laughs> like Blessing our listeners with some of your thoughts, but uh, let, let's talk more after this about sure. more ways we can get your, sure. your story. I, I'm thinking of hundreds right now. <laughs> so guilty pleasure. Is there anything that maybe some, most people don't know about you, a kind of guilty pleasure that you do have that now is a
2: chance of, yeah. of thousands of people? <laughs> I, I've thought about that, but it's hard because I'm really living such a simple life here yeah. and I discovered that's actually what I've been looking for for such a longest time, so now that I have it, I, I'll keep it. Mm. So, my life is so simple that it's hard to talk about guilty pleasure. Because the pleasures I have now is when I can just rest and open my book after a long day, mm. or sometimes watch a movie, well, I watch maybe a movie a month, and maybe the guiltiest would be to eat some worn pan de coco. <laughs> <laughs> That's the guiltiest I have. <laughs> so, I don't have much to give you now, I'm sorry.
1: No, this part.
2: I, I thank you for that. No, I appreciate it.
1: So, when we talk about um, this, this is the second last section, and it's pro- on productivity. Have you got a productivity habit that others may benefit from?
2: That's a very simple thing I do. So I don't know if it helps anybody to do the same. But what I do when I really get, to get started again, because sometimes you get caught in a, in a habit and say, well, I have to be productive again. I have to go fast on this thing. So what I do every time is I clean up my room and organize it again. Mm -hmm. I mean, my stuff. So it also includes my computer. So it's as if I was restarting everything. So I just put up my stuff, organize it, have a space for me to... Because I like to work almost lying, you know, like like this. I don't know how you explain it. Whatever. Yeah, feet feet up. Yeah, feet (laughs) up like like this. And uh, so I have to clean everything because basically my space in the farm is... You know, a bed where you have one under, one above. I don't know how you call it in English. Bamboo bed. Yeah, a bunk bed, exactly. So the one below is where I have my stuff plus my place to work. Yeah. The one above is where I sleep. So I just clean my bunk above. It was the same, I mean, of course, before on the campus in university. I clean everything, organize it, have my papers here, my other papers here, my pen here. I know it looks maniac, but. And then I just organize my computer, and boom, I'm ready to work. And I'm very efficient for the next days. But then I have to restart again. That's actually my problem. I wish I could do it every day, so I be <laughs> I need to be unproductive for one or two days to get started again, and then I'm productive for the next five days. Mm. That's what I do. I
1: love that. I love that advice. That is... Um I hope people are inspired by this when they look at their own messes. I I'm, I'm put my hand up. I love, I love the way we're actually in my condo right now so you can visually see. But he talked about two types of messes, the physical mess and the virtual mess. Yeah. So I think a lot of our listeners should... Really Organizing your thoughts. Also. Yes, yes. Louis, we, well, I personally believe the most powerful word in productivity is the word no. <laughs> <laughs> I say no to the wrong opportunities, wrong people. <laughs> yeah, Can you true. share maybe one thing that you said no to? And I know you've got a lot of offers, a lot of distractions as a, well, yeah, you're a Westerner in the Philippines, and lots of people coming to you with different offers, but if you'd like to share now with our listeners, what's the one thing that you have said no to that has helped you the most?
2: I have several examples, but I have one maybe that is pretty powerful in the context of the Philippines. So as I told you, I got a foot in the modeling world. And actually, the person that was kind of managing me, I won't give his name, but he's a very, very influential PR in the Philippines. Very... And he knows everybody. And he's, the few models that he manage doesn't even take a commission because he has enough money for that. He just does it for fun. They're getting very famous. And he told me once when I was in Forbes with him, he told me, why don't you just, did you see the condo that my model has in Makati? Have you seen that? Why don't you just join me, work for me. In one year, you'll be rich and famous. And for me, that's one of the greatest thoughts I ever had in my mind was no single hesitation. I didn't have a second, even like a million of seconds yes. of hesitation in my mind. I told him, my place is in the farm and that's all. And for me, that was not only a no, it was the realization of what Titutoni told me. Stick to your integrity. Where is your truth? My truth is not there. My truth right now is in the farm. And as I know that, I am super powerful. You can do whatever you want. You can tempt you with whatever you want. It will never work because there's only one truth. So I'm, I am totally like that's the best shield. Exactly how he said. Exactly how he said. That's the best shield. Nobody could put me on another track. That was one track.
1: Wow. I love that. <laughs> that is one of my favorite stories. I love that. <laughs> Oh, I'm so inspired. I'm so inspired. Woo! <laughs> but I have three final questions for you. And you are a foreigner, just like me. And, but you've met this country, your home. Yeah. And you have a deep... And it's authentic, folks. It's not a fake gimmicky thing. It's an authentic, genuine love you have for this country and its people. What is your dream for the Philippines and the Filipino people?
2: Yeah. What is your dream? I mean, for me, I would say that as an individual... The Philippines has to find its own beauty. And I believe it hasn't found it yet. My dream for the Philippines is to find its own beauty, where its peculiarity, where, yeah, its own truth, what the Philippines is best at in the world. And when they know that, share it to the world and show the world that the Philippines can also teach something to the others. Mm. Because I realized that in France, we never think of learning anything from developing countries. I mean, we learn things from the US, from Sweden. Oh, they're amazing. They do this. All oh, those ones are amazing. Germans, they're so far beyond us. We can never catch them. They're so good at it. What about the Philippines? What about all these other countries? Where are they? Where does their beauty lie? There is. They have their own beauty. Just like any individuals, any people have their own beauty to show the world. But They haven't discovered it yet. So my dream for the Philippines is to discover it, to nourish it, develop it, to share it, and to teach my country what's their beauty. Wow,
1: that's beautiful. So not only do you have to write a book, but you also have to write some poetry. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. That's very poetic. I love that. Okay. Find. Uh, I'm just. I'm taking notes as I'm doing this interview. But you have to find your own beauty. And I never thought that for a country. I always thought that for people, but never for a country. So.
2: Actually, just realized it now.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, that's powerful. <laughs> Second last question, uh, because he is not just the first foreigner, but he's the youngest guest that we have on, have ever had on the show, 22 years of age. But I've asked you to take yourself back to your 20-year-old self <laughs> two years ago. But, uh, but let's ask a different spin on this. Before you were transformed and your journey, and uh, maybe to your 18-year-old self, So, eighteen-year-old Louis, um, with his worldly views or his definition of success, and uh, yeah, his how he was thinking. If you were to go back in time and to advise him, what advice would you give him?
2: I would say, because actually, I'll I'll do it the other way. What made me change? Now, what did I realize first? What were the first steps that made me change? And the first realization that I had. So once again, in that mountain, (laughs) that was about fear. So the thing that I will say to my 18-year-old self is stop having fear. I mean, nonsense fear. You have fear when you have a guy with a gun in front of your face. (laughs) Obviously, that's fear. But having fear of doing things because just people tell you it's impossible or just people tell you it's going to be difficult or just uh, because you believe, because it's all beliefs. And if you're not able to master your beliefs, I mean, you cannot become yourself. So, the first thing I would have told, me, told myself is stop fearing. Stop fearing to be alone. Stop fearing not to be loved. Because actually that's, I think, a fear that is shared by so many. And I used to have it. Like, sheer not having love. Sheer fear of going beyond what you think you can do. Mm. All those things. And that would have helped me with my relationship with others. That would have helped me, I don't know, work better or do many things, I mm. guess fear wow and that's so true i i i
1: am kind of reflecting on my own journey now <laughs> but the amount of times fear has held me back so um yeah thank you for sharing that so louis last question yeah this show is called the best of you and <laughs> we want ultimately people to become better versions of themselves on their journey to becoming the best version of themselves what advice would you give
2: our listeners to become the best version of themselves for me, when I look at my own journey, the first step was become—I mean, understanding who I was. Supposedly, we do it when we're teenagers, but we don't. We're still surrounded by too many fears, too many walls, and we kind of miss that step, and we jump into a life that maybe we're not ready for, because we didn't, we don't know yet who we are, and still we jump into a train. And it might not go in the right direction, so at a certain point, we'll have to jump to another one. But the earlier, the better, no? Mm. Then the, it won't be too hard to fall from that train. So, I would say the first thing is to understand who we are. So, understand actually that we define who we are, nobody else has defined who we are. But we need others to reflect what we are as mirrors of ourselves. And after it's we can design also who we want to be. And once we understand that truth, the way to become better self, our better self, is simply to stick to that truth, to commit to that truth. So that's what I call, and so Tito Tony calls also integrity. And that's our best weapon, our shield, protection against troubles of life. So mm-hmm. when we know that truth, we stick to it, and then we are undefeatable. Because we are our own self, no? We are one. Louis, thank you so much for
1: contributing, adding extraordinary, extraordinary value to this show. Until next time, my
2: friend. All right. I would love to. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike.
0: There you have it folks. Such an amazing and inspiring interview with Louis. Lots of insights and powerful messages. Now it's all up to us and our challenge to you is what is that one thing that you can take from this which can help you become a better version of you? We want to hear more about you. Check out our show notes at bestofyou.ph and we would appreciate if you could rate and review so we know how we can make this better for you. This is a home of inspiration for all all Filipinos around the world and your feedback is really valuable. If you don't want to miss any episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash or follow us on Twitter at you underscore ph and we are also on Instagram and LinkedIn. You all have the power to share and inspire those that you care about. Share the most inspiring stories and messages you got from Best of You. And if you are an individual or organization who share the same vision, we want to explore partnership with you. Let's work together to inspire all Filipinos around the world. Visit our website bestofyou.ph and do not hesitate to get in touch with us. Before we end, I want to share some insights from Louis which struck me the most. Be grateful and take courage to fly on your own wings. That's all for today. Till our next episode, this is Jesse and this is Best of You, inspiring Filipinos go further, faster.